0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. We'd like to extend thanks once again to Docline Studios for hosting us. Today, I have a very special guest. We have the Honorable Judge Amy Tucker, who is uh, running for re-election for Montgomery County Court at Law Number 3. Uh, Amy's court focuses us on Child Protection Court and all of the cases that are filed by the Ch- Child Protective Services in the county go th- into her courtroom. She is one of 47 attorneys board certified in both family law and child welfare law, which is uh, m- makes her an outstanding uh, uh, example of an attorney in the state of Texas. Uh, welcome Judge Tucker. Thanks Thank for coming. Thank you. I'm uh-huh. happy to be here. So, why don't you just start by telling us all about Amy Tucker?
1: Oh, wow. Starting from the beginning. Well, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, and my parents were teachers.
0: A noble profession.
1: It is a noble profession, and they were devoted teachers. My dad was also a coach for mm-hmm. basically every sport imaginable, but his true passion was football coaching. Yeah, And my parents both played tennis for the University of Houston, and... Oh, when I was growing up, Houston was always this magical place where mm-hmm. we'd come and watch games and kind of go back to their old, uh, college, um, areas where they had, uh, I guess had such an amazing time, according to my parents, but, uh, things were different, way different back then, as yeah. you can imagine. So uh, growing up, I, I always had a passion and a love and appreciation for public service. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really had, I, I didn't really know a lot of people that were in the private sector growing up and our house was always full of teachers and uh, I knew that while they didn't make a lot of money, they were very happy and mm-hmm. fulfilled in their job. Yeah. And I also knew that everywhere we went, I had people coming up to me and saying, oh, I had your mom, I had your dad as a teacher, and yeah. they were so great, and they, um, I'll never forget this, this, or this. And just to make that kind of impression in the community, I thought was so special. So I started out... Um, In my athletic career, because that was also a a requirement in my house. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Playing tennis uh, very early. I think I played my first tennis tournament when I was 10, 10 years old and ultimately was one of the top ranked tennis junior tennis players in the state. Wow but um, i was small mm-hmm. and as i got older i was kind of getting smaller and smaller relative to my competition and i switched over to golf when i was 12 or 13 mm. and f- exclusively when i was 14 and ended up playing college golf for one of the top women's golf programs in the country nice. the university of tennessee wow. and it was a great experience uh, i just i loved it there and i loved being a part of the team and being surrounded by people who, when you when they woke up, all they wanted to do was be the best mm-hmm. at whatever they were doing that day. And I think it was just a culture of uh, hard work and focus that I think I really have carried with me throughout uh, the rest of my life. I knew I wasn't going to play professional golf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had an English literature major uh, degree didn't really know what to do with that, mm-hmm. so I decided to go to law school. I thought, well, I'll have three more years to decide what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. Right, And the first year, nothing really sparked my interest. Second year, same. Not until my last semester uh, did I end up taking class. It was a child welfare class, mm-hmm. and I just loved it. It was a class that uh, really taught us how the court system uh, handled foster children and Mm -hmm. their cases. And it was riveting. And uh, my professor was involved with that area of the law. Um, It had actually been a judge in some capacity for those cases. And I I just felt like this is where I belonged. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to get into that area of the law. But uh, in just a random twist of fate, I got on very early I was 26 years old with the County, Montgomery County Attorney's Office in their Child Welfare Division. Okay. Spent 11 years uh, working in that uh, arena. I represented uh, Child Protective Services. And also at the beginning, I worked with the Family Violence Division and represented uh, people who needed family violence protective orders. Yeah. But I, I phased out of that uh, fairly soon because the caseload became pretty big. And then December of 2012, I was uh, appointed as the associate judge for this court, mm-hmm. and did that for, was associate judge for eight and a half years until I was appointed as the presiding on July one. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think the real, as far as the career path, it's um, I I never imagined I would be here. Mm-hmm but I feel like it's where I was meant to be all along. I just didn't know it. Right. (laughs) And when I left the county attorney's office and took the associate judge position, honestly, I had a lot of guilt about leaving those cases. Uh, I was worried about what would happen to them because at that point, I knew them so well. Right. right? I'd become an expert in that area of the law. And I just didn't know who would be able to step in and, and do that. And after a couple of years of being on the bench and learning everything I needed to learn to do that job, Mm -hmm. I did go to my judge at the time and say, I really think we should bring all the CPS cases into county court at law Mm three, because they've been through several different judges. They don't really have a true home. And I'm devoted to these cases and I know them better than anyone else. And I think that we can make a real difference. And to her credit, she did not bat an eye. She said, I agree. I'll do everything I can. Mm-hmm. So
0: awesome. So you're a big proponent then of uh, specialized courts uh, within the county.
1: I am a huge proponent of specialized courts. And the way I describe it is for me, let's say you needed uh, knee surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though your family physician is a, a good doctor, mm-hmm. uh, you probably don't want them to do the knee surgery, right? You want to go to a surgeon, an orthopedic specialist, right, who does nothing but knee surgeries, yes, every day, day in and day out. And it's the same concept with the specialty court.
0: That's a great analogy. Yeah.
1: Right. So I think whether it's uh, going to probate a will. Or having a a criminal case, Mm -hmm. uh, like in the family violence uh, court, or whether it's a CPS case in one of the family courts, Mm -hmm. I just think that the community should be able to feel confident that the judge hearing their case is an expert in that specialty area.
0: Right. Especially for something as important as dealing with kids in these, you know, oftentimes really bad situations.
1: Right. And then the stakes are very high in this, mm-hmm. this area of the law. Yeah. So why do you have this
0: passion for both, you know, CPS cases and, and family law? Where, do, where does that come from?
1: Well, I think probably because early on in my career, I had so many cases where I saw a child coming out of a horrible situation. Yeah. Um, and I, I referenced this one case that was very early where a seven-year-old boy witnessed his father murdering his mother. Mm-hmm. And so just in an instant, the world he's known is just erased. Yeah. And it really impacted me um, hearing how he was doing and, and how, where he ended up. And I re I, I can literally see, uh, his foster parents, uh, who ended up adopting him and they were a wonderful family. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I mean, this child has gone from such horrible tragedy to now he is with these amazing people who mm-hmm. are g- going to give him a life, um, where he can heal. Yeah. And, and it's just, there's, to me, so few areas in the law where you can see that real-world um, difference. Yeah. I, uh,
0: I, I worked for the last five years uh, for Aldine ISD uh, as a social studies teacher down there teaching eighth grade U.S. history, and I worked at the Alternative uh, Education uh, Center. Um, and we would get kids, you know, for 45 days at a time— They would, you know, come to us from every single campus in the school district. You know, they decided that it was a good idea to put all the, quote, bad apples in one basket, right? And, you know, I I got just a glimpse of what that world looks like that you deal with all the time. Uh, We'd get kids in, you know, that were living in foster homes in Houston, and they were always the most challenging students. They... You know, you could tell that they felt like no one cared about them, that nobody cared about their future and they would act out accordingly. And so many of those kids would act out, you know, because they, they're they like, well, if this is how everyone's going to view me, then I'll just rise to that standard and, and be that kid. And it's it's heartbreaking to see that happen. And it's really awesome that you they do have people like you, um, and the countless others that you do work with in, within the court system that are looking out for these kinds of kids. Uh, so thank you for that. That's real sweet.
1: Oh, well, I, I appreciate that very much. So let's get into
0: a little bit more broad of a, a category here. I'd like to discuss with you uh, just basically your your general judicial philosophy. Uh, what is law and, and you know what is it that you as a judge are supposed to be doing?
1: So my general judicial philosophy is, is one of, uh, I always say I'm a strict constructionist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that the judiciary and the legislature and the executive branch have clearly articulated roles in our government, and mm-hmm. I think it's important that everyone stays in their lane. Yes. So I think as a judge, uh, my objective is to listen to the set of facts and apply them to the law that exists at the time. Okay. Whether or not I agree with that law. Mm-hmm. And that is hard sometimes, especially in this yeah. area of the law, because I can tell you there is a, a good bit of child welfare law that I don't necessarily agree with, mm-hmm. but it's not my job to question the right. law uh, as a judge. So that's my basic judicial philosophy. Yeah, that's
0: that's awesome. Um, I love, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but you know, uh, my judicial philosophy would be very similar you know we have you know whether it's the united states constitution or the texas state constitution the constitution is not this living breathing document that you know can change as the wind blows it's a contract and just like in any other like you know civil case if you will you know a contract's a contract uh you know whatever it says this is what it says and everybody agreed to the contract, right? So we, the people are supposed to be holding the, you know, whether it's the legislature or the judiciary or the executive, uh, you know, accountable to the enumerated powers that they're given. And so I, I personally greatly appreciate that, that viewpoint because, you know, I 100% agree with it. Um, so getting back into your area of expertise, which is, you know, child, uh, Protection Services cases, uh, family court. How do you how do you balance some of these delicate situations that that come up with you know you're dealing with minor children, you're dealing with CPS, and yet also as a constructionist, you know you have your role as being a part of the government, uh, the the role of the government in essence, is to protect people's rights. How do you balance all three of those, you know, different categories, uh, in these specific circumstances that you find yourself in every day?
1: Well, sometimes it, it is difficult mm-hmm. and, uh, parental rights are, um, fundamental rights and they're protected by the constitution. And we know that. Yes. Um, and I do think that it is very important to constantly, uh, be recognizing a parent's due process rights, mm-hmm. and making sure that they are protected at every step of the way. Because at the end of the day, every CPS case involves state intervention. Mm-hmm. I philosophically believe in small government. Yes. And I believe that the government should be uh, intervening in your life as little as possible, mm-hmm. especially with families, because that's so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And I'm always at every step of every case looking at whether or not this case warrants state intervention, Mm -hmm. because there are times where the issues that perhaps were present at the time a child was removed have been remediated and no longer exist. Mm -hmm. And at that point, then they need to be able to go back to their lives. And I believe that. With that said... We do have a lot of cases, and I would even say most of our cases, Mm -hmm. that involve severe abuse or neglect. Right. Most of our cases on the docket are not a close call, if you will. They are egregious. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of which, if I told you about, you would lose sleep tonight. Right. That's how bad they are. Sure. Um, So in those cases where the abuse or neglect is, is so egregious, what we are looking at at, from the very beginning is whether or not, again, to still respect the sanctity of the family, Mm -hmm. there are any relatives in the family who are able to care for the children, right? Who are in no way involved with the circumstances that led to the abuse and neglect. And I'm very, um, committed to trying to place children with family and with more importantly people who they know and are familiar with right Mm -hmm. when at all possible yeah I, i
0: i can imagine how you know difficult that's so much better of a of a scenario for for a child that's you know their lives falling apart before their their very eyes you know and then you're gonna have to put them into you know this home where they're you know surrounded by complete strangers uh I ran in that again in my classroom, you know, here I have 45 days, you know, an hour at a time. So I'd have one student for 45 hours and, you know, I'm expected to wear all these hats. I'm expected to wear the social studies teacher hat. I'm expected to wear the, in a lot of cases, the dad hat, you know, they didn't, most of these kids didn't have a strong male presence in their life. Um, you know, and you've got to do all of these things and it's, it is bewildering to these kids um, so uh, putting somebody into uh, a situation where at least they're familiar, they don't have to establish that rapport with this, you know, aunt or uncle or, or cousin or whatever it is, um, is very beneficial, I'd imagine for these kids.
1: I think so. And, uh, and I, I will say that, you know, there's a lot of dark in this area of the law, Yeah. but some of the most inspiring stories are these uh, families where aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, really come forward and completely mm-hmm. change their lives. I mean, many of them have children of their own, right, to take a broken child mm-hmm. into their home, who a lot of times has some behavioral issues, yeah. medical problems um, that have to be addressed and require more attention
0: mm-hmm. than just
1: your average child. Yeah. And they do so selflessly. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do it with just, frankly, the biggest heart in God's grace. And yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it is. That's beautiful to see. And you know, um, I'm, right now with my history classes, we're going through the ancient world. We're in ancient Greece and I'm, I'm talking about uh, with my students uh, and this, this will make sense here in a second, but it's, it's going to seem like a rabbit trail. You know uh, we're talking about the uh, Greek tragedies, you know, um, in the Greek plays and, you know, those are some depressing stories and uh, you know, but I think just as a piece of literature we can learn so much from those tragedies because it speaks to the human experience so much. We all know that we are flawed, sinful human beings, and like people are going to mess up. And it's beautiful to see, you know, people stepping up into those roles that you just were talking about, and and making a difference in the lives of these kids when they are put into these situations. And they didn't ask to be put in those situations, but they're right. just going to have to deal with it
1: right you know? and and you're you're exactly right and and someone who is on the criminal side of all of this um, this work and dealing with terrible things that happen to children mm-hmm. uh, said to me that uh, without the dark there's no light mm. and you know that's actually a good point yeah um, so and, and I understand that and I also do want to say uh, as far as these families who who bringing, bring these children into their homes. Mm-hmm. We also have just so you know, mm-hmm. an amazing group of foster families in yeah. this county. And uh, we have several agencies who work with uh, people in the community who volunteer uh, as foster families. And I have seen so many success stories uh, with our foster homes as well. and they uh, now, and these are people that don't know these children at all. Mm-hmm. They've just asked to have a foster child in their home. That's amazing. Uh, And that is amazing also. Yeah. Um, And again, a lot of these children, when they come to them, are either physically or emotionally uh, broken. Yeah. And they do the hard work of healing.
0: Yeah. And that's a lot of work you know there's no way that we could sit here and have a discussion and really articulate what actually goes into you know healing a child that's experienced th- this amount of trauma in their life you know it, right
1: it's, exactly we don't know and in fact i just i did an adoption this morning well i had two uh, this morning that were uh, prior cps cases mm-hmm. and they had been uh, one family knew the child and the other was a foster parent who, who had no relationship with the child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told them, I said, you know, y'all do the hard work, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And we appreciate it because you are making a difference, not just for this child, but for this community.
0: Right. That's right. Mm-hmm because if yeah if you if your community starts falling apart you know what do you what do you have you know it's it's important that we have people that are willing to step up and fulfill that role for these kids right. because these kids aren't going anywhere they're going to still be a part of our community you know and it's and it's not these kids fault you know uh, the circumstances that they're under they didn't choose for this to happen you know and then we have to, as a society, make the best of uh, a bad situation. And so the people that do that are, in fact, heroes. Yes,
1: that's Mm -hmm. exactly right.
0: Yeah. In your opinion, what is judgment? You're a judge, right? (laughs) What is judgment? What's your definition of judgment? And then how does one exact good judgment on the bench with these really, you know, difficult situations?
1: So professionally, I would say that uh, judgment involves listening carefully to a set of facts and evidence Mm -hmm. and then applying the law to that set of facts and evidence, deciding cases. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that might be a, a, it might be a different definition of judgment in my Private life, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> right, <laughs> especially yeah. when it comes to you know maybe what my eleven year old wants to wear to school. <laughs> um, uh, but I think again, I, I I believe so strongly in the um, boundaries of what a judge is supposed to do, right. And that's not to say sometimes, especially in family cases, I don't offer my opinion mm-hmm. uh, if I think it will help. Um, but generally my job is to ensure that everyone gets a fair hearing or trial mm-hmm. and that they know that I will listen to all of the evidence and faithfully apply the law to uh, the facts
0: yeah it's I mean frankly I don't envy you <laughs> I, I I can only imagine you know the situations the tough situations that you're put in uh, in in you know, having to deal with this caseload and, you know, this particular docket. Um, and I don't even know how you do it, but, you know, thank you for doing it because it's a hard job, but, and, and, you know, somebody needs to do it. Um, that being said, I have just one last question. Why should we keep Judge Amy Tucker, uh, which is what your sign says?
1: Exactly. Well, I think to just be straightforward and simple with the answer, I am the only person in this county and very few in the state of Texas who is as qualified to do this job for this court. I have spent 20 years in the courtroom as a litigator and as a judge. I've tried hundreds of cases. I've tried many jury trials, mm-hmm. I have handled many appeals. And I have done so in the two specialty areas of this court. Because keep in mind that every single CPS case is actually a family law case. Yes, right. Um, so it's just that CPS law, or child welfare law mm-hmm. is a highly specialized technical and complex subspecialty. Sure. And I've tried every conceivable type of family law case as a judge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've also tried uh, CBS cases as a judge, jury trials, bench trials. I've had hearings. I've done all of that. And I've also uh, been taken up on appeal pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty regularly and A lot of CPS cases that are contested trials, Mm -hmm. they go up on appeal. Uh, Generally, the uh, parents who have court-appointed attorneys continue that court appointment up through even the Supreme Court. Mm. So they um, don't have to pay for any of that. And so generally, uh, those cases are appealed uh, way more often than just your average family case. Right, because you're not paying for it. Well, I mean, exactly. So... With that said, as an attorney, I had to h- handle a lot of appeals when I uh, was representing CPS. Mm-hmm. And then as a judge, I'm taken up on appeal fairly regularly on the CPS cases. I've never been had a case reversed or remanded either as an attorney or as a, a judge in 20 years.
0: That's an impressive record.
1: Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And I think it just reflects on my attention to detail and my commitment to, again, like I said at the beginning, uh, faithfully applying the law to the facts of any given case. Mm -hmm. So I think that that level of experience is unique Mm -hmm. uh, for this bench. And I think also, probably most importantly to me, is my deep passion and commitment to this child protection docket. I am the very first judge in the history of this county to ask for all of these cases. And I'm one of few, if any, in the state of Texas who has actually asked for all of the child welfare cases in a given county. And that should uh, demonstrate how serious I take this doc and how important I think it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm just hoping that the voters will give me and my court a chance to take the reins here and continue to improve on uh, the courts Mm -hmm. and uh, allow us to do what we need to do to make sure we can make decisions that give all of the foster children in this county the best chance at a life where uh, they have hope and love and happiness.
0: So what do you think has been the impact or the efficacy of the decision to move all of these types of cases under, you know, one court into one courtroom and, you know, at at your bench?
1: So uh, for for starters, we uh, eliminated the need for an an, an entire court. Mm -hmm. So in former uh, previous years, there was a CPS court which was run by generally a retired judge who was appointed as a visiting judge and so they had staff and they had a bailiff so when we subsumed those cases obviously that eliminated the need for uh, for that which I think was um, you know had a cost benefit yes it helps us taxpayers sure right. and as far as having them in one of the family courts instead of spread out among the three family courts, which we did try that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We did try that for a, a, just a not very long. Uh, that stretches all of the people who work in this court to their outer limits. I see. Because you have to keep in mind, every CPS case has probably four to six attorneys on it. Okay. And each case has a CASA advocate, Okay. And uh, each case obviously involves caregivers for the children. So there's a lot of people involved in every case.
0: Right. So there's your defense attorney, it, your prosecuting attorney, the guardian ad litem, all, you know, all those people. Right. all, And then working in conjunction with each other.
1: Exactly. Okay. So if you have these cases running in three different courts, you're creating a system where these people are going to be in court. All the time, Mm -hmm. like every day of the week. Yeah. (laughs) Potentially. Okay. And, and sometimes they might need to be in two places at once. It's just impossible to coordinate that. Mm -hmm. So with this one court system, I'm trying to get it down to two to three days a week. Yeah. Because there's a lot that goes on out of court with these cases. I bet. That all of these people need time Mm -hmm. to do. Sure. Sure. So I can't have them tied up in court five days a week. I haven't, I'm not perfect. I mean, we still use (laughs) other days, um, especially with COVID, we're having to be flexible. But, but all that aside, I think having everyone in one court where I can actually allow for uh, people's schedule. And I understand that Mm -hmm. there may be things happening with the caregiver where we can reschedule. I just think it's better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And plus everyone just has to be in one place. Yeah. With one judge, with one set of rules, they'll start to kind of, you know, understand our systems and and, and the process.
0: It becomes more efficient. And
1: it's very consistent Mm -hmm. and efficient. Yeah. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for for agreeing to come on my show. Uh, I've enjoyed our time together. And, you uh, you know, my last question that I have for you is, would it be fair to say that Judge Amy Tucker has been called Uh, to do what you do, both with your passion and, you know, your, your unique experience.
1: Absolutely. And I've even said, I didn't choose this. It chose me. Yeah. Even when I didn't realize it was choosing me. So I do believe that. And, and I've looked, like I said, I look back over the last 20 years and even to my last semester in law school, because I almost quit law school Mm -hmm. halfway through, uh, just couldn't really find my way. And I was pretty upset when my parents told me I had to finish. (laughs) (laughs) So even looking back to that and understanding that it was all for a reason, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting.
0: That's a special thing, you know, when, when people are doing what they call are called to do, like, I, you know, I'm just in my element when I'm in a classroom and I'm teaching, like, I can't imagine myself doing anything other than that, that's what I'm designed to do, you know, right. and, uh, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time that even if I won Powerball, I'd still be here the next day. Like, you know, cause I just love doing it and, you know, and it's the impact that it has on people. And you know, I, I I could see that very easily translating over to to your experience as well.
1: You know, it's so funny. I've had that exact same conversation with friends. Like, yeah. would you still be doing this if you won the lottery? And the answer is absolutely yes. Like, okay. the idea of waking up tomorrow and not having this uh, beautiful job and career to go to is mm-hmm. would be devastating. Yeah, because you're right. It's a part of me.
0: Right. That's awesome. Thank you so much for all the hard work that you do, and in particular, you know the, the the people and the lives that you impact, it's such a needed thing. And I know it's a tough and probably oftentimes thankless job, so I wanted to say thank you for that.
1: Uh, thank you, I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on, this has been very special and I really appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure, thank you so much. Judge
0: Tucker, everybody, uh, she was running for, again, uh, county court re-election for county court law uh, number three, which is a county-wide seat, so everybody in Montgomery County We'll have the opportunity to vote for her uh, in the upcoming Republican Party Um Primary. primary there that that's the word <laughs> yes it,
1: yes it's it's quickly approaching so please go out and vote and early voting starts february 14th, february 14th. it's yes, it it'll does. be
0: romantic you can you know go out <laughs> there a on your date you know and then go out to dinner afterwards right no right. excuses all right thank you again so much for coming on and we will see you next episode thank you guys and we'd like to thank Docline studios once again for hosting us and uh our guest uh judge amy tucker thank
1: you